Hi, my name is Don Taylor, and my definition of relentless is being scrappy as hell, but with healthy boundaries and some grace. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Relentless Podcast. I am Kyle Dubay, and I am really happy today to have somebody who, on her business card, her role, her title is ass kicker, hope giver. Don Taylor, who is the, the CEO of the Taylor Way, is here to talk to us today about her life story, about so many things that she's been through, and how she's had to be relentless to get to where she is in life today, uh, helping other people and, and thriving in life. So Dawn, it is so good to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and talk about this. Yeah. Listen, we, um, we, we found out about you through Rob from Road 55, who's met you a few times. And said to me, he goes, Kyle, you, you have to have Dawn on the podcast. Like, this is a person who's been relentless. The things that she's been through in her life, there's there's many things. And we're going to talk about those today. <laughs> yep, there's a few. <laughs> there's a few. And we're going to talk about those today. And then what we're going to talk about is, is how you, what you've had to do, what you've had to learn, how you've had to navigate certain things to move forward in life, to bring you to a place where you now help others move forward in life, navigating things and being relentless in, in many of the challenges that they have. So all that being said, um, why don't we, why don't we get right down to it? Where are you from? Where were you raised? And, and maybe what were some of the first things that were happening in your life that, uh, that affected you so, so deeply? Absolutely. I was born in Vanderhoof, BC. So this little... Vanderhoof? <laughs> Never heard of that. No, no one has. It's about an hour away from Prince George. Okay. And that's where I was born. And then when I was six, we moved to Terrace, BC, mm-hmm. which is northern BC. Yeah. And that's really where I grew up. That was where I spent the majority of my childhood. And in okay. my 20s, ran away and came to Alberta. All right. Yeah. And do you come from big family or is it, you know, do you have siblings? Or what, what do you have? Older sister, younger brother. Okay. Yeah. So reasonably small, huge extended family. Yeah. Yeah. Now, growing up, um, you and I talked previously to recording and yeah. you've been through some traumatic things in your life. Yeah. Let's, let's go there. What, uh, what happened? So I often describe it to people as from the outside, it all looked amazing. Right. Even now talking about it, it's like, no, I had a really amazing family. Right. But in when I was first starting my book that I wrote and writing like, you know, where did my story start? Where did this really come from? It all came down to picture like this house on this beautiful street with all the flowers and the driveways and the people walking and everything else. It looked amazing. There was this beautiful lake in the backyard. And then all of a sudden stuff started to happen. And it was like the doorbell rang and life was there. And I was like, oh, hey, we have a package for you. Here's another trauma. Here's another trauma. Hmm. And they started piling too hard, too fast. And I ended up having to just like start like running through the house, throwing the packages in the backyard and ignoring them because I didn't have time to deal with them. Until all of a sudden I woke up one day and I had this like Mount Vesuvius of trauma in my backyard and I didn't know how to cope. Right. And then raised in the culture I was raised in, being a Mennonite, I not currently but being raised that way, there was a lot of like bury your head in the sand, act like nothing happened, forgive and forget. And I didn't know how to deal with it. So just a few of the major, I guess, the key points of my story, because there's a lot of them, as you know, was at 12, I broke my back. 
at 14 i was how, how did you break your back on a trampoline oh, one of those old rubber ones from the 80s right big wood frame and i went on my knees too close to the edge and i went to throw myself backwards to stay away from the wood and i completely twisted myself around top six bottom six vertebrae crack fractured or broken wow yeah. wow but like then having to deal with like going to a new school but you're in physio five days a week and mm. trying to figure out a back injury and uh, and you're 12 years old and which you're all these normal things are happening to <laughs> right? a 12 year old oh it's, it's a hard enough time right. right and then at 14 i had an uncle sexually abuse me and it was over two days we were staying at their house there was 14 times over two days that he molested me and you know in typical forgive and forget fashion and for anyone listening who's lived in that, been there, done that, right? Where it's, you just, you're meant to forgive and forget. You're not supposed to say anything. You just act like nothing happened. You mean that's what you were taught? That's what I was taught. That's what I was taught. Even though I think it's all bullshit. I hope I can swear. You can swear. Okay, good. <laughs> but, you know, it started with that. And I was just trying to overcome that. I ended up with a severe eating disorder to make myself unattractive to men. And I had this moment standing at the top of the Eiffel Tower. I was on a school trip to Paris. I'm standing at the top of the Eiffel Tower sobbing that I was so sick. And it was hurting me, not him. It was always hurting me and not someone else. Right? And that was one of my key moments in my life that was like, no, no, I have to try to figure this out. I have to fight for myself. How old are you at this point? I was 15, almost 16. 15. So this is a couple of years later. Yeah. So this is two years later. A year had, had later. You, had you talked to anybody about this? I told my uncle, I told my dad actually that I'd been sexually abused within hours of the last time it happened. So my family all knew. So you, you and I hope you don't mind me no, jumping no, into this. So, so you talked to your dad yeah. about your uncle doing this. Yeah. And what was their reaction? Nothing. Act like nothing happened. We just need to get through this. Did they believe you? My dad did. I think my dad did. My mom never did. I was told by an aunt that she believed me about a year before she passed away when I was 28 was when she finally admitted that she thinks something happened. What did, what did your, I'm sorry. This is hard for me to wrap my brain. Oh no, it's it, me too. So your dad. Yeah. But did nothing. I, I'm just assuming as. No, a, literally nothing. And this was a relative of his. It's his brother-in-law. And did nothing. Nope. We were staying at their house. And after the last time he left my bedroom, I heard my dad go into the bathroom. And you can read about it in detail. I I mean, not gory detail, but in detail sure. how it all went down. But I ran into the bathroom, told him what my uncle had been doing. And he followed me back to my bedroom. He helped me get dressed. And then we literally sat at the breakfast table, had breakfast with them, kept visiting. With your uncle? Uh-huh. And his wife. Posed on the front steps for photos. And your cousins. They, they didn't they have didn't any have kids. kids. No, but my siblings were there. And we got in the truck to drive away. And my dad said, well, tell your mom what you told me. And I got told I needed to act like nothing happened because we had plans that day. And we went on to hang out with cousins and do family events. And act like nothing had gone on. Hmm. I am uh, not often speechless, but I just don't even know what to say to that. You know, I just don't. I don't know how to absorb that, that information. 
You know what's sad is I think it happens more often than you think. Yeah. I hear it often in my work. I hear it often that people go, but I told and then nothing. I told them and they just went back to watching TV. I told somebody and it didn't go anywhere. So people that hear this, yeah. that have have gone through sexual abuse, molestation, that have not told anybody. Yeah. That's actually a tough thing to hear because they're scared to tell somebody potentially because mm-hmm. what if they're not believed or they're told, just forgive and forget, don't worry, let's sweep it under the carpet. Yeah. What happened... How many years later did you talk to somebody where they actually did believe you and do something? So grade 12. So when I was 17. So here's what I want to say to anyone listening who's been through this. Number one is if you have shame about the fact that you didn't tell anyone and they could have stopped something else from happening or they could have stopped it, know that there's no guarantee. Right. Right? There's no guarantee that you having said something or you having gone to your parents right away or gone and told someone doesn't actually mean that it would have shifted any outcome. But on the second side of it is if you tell someone and they don't believe you and they act like my parents did, tell someone else. Keep talking until you find someone who believes you because somebody is. Yeah, somebody's going to. Someone is going to. And so I was sitting in the law class in grade 12 and not handling life super well because of this trauma. Sure. And I had gone on to have eating disorders. I had attempted suicide at one point and they say I actually like died and they revived me. Like it was horrible. It was a really rough few years. And a cop had come in to talk about laws in law class, right? It makes sense. And they were talking about stuff. And I guess I was like drilling them with questions. I talked to the law teacher years later and he's like, oh no, you pretty much took over and just asked a lot of questions. Sure. And at the end of class, she walked by my desk and put her card down and she said, I'm at the station till 11 p.m. She knew. Yeah. And walked out and. That was an RCMP or a city cop? RCMP. RCMP. Yeah. And I phoned in sick for work and told my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, Mm. that I was like, I think I'm going to go to the cops and tell them what he did. And he was like, yeah, let me know what you need. And so I did. I drove myself to the police Your husband's station. name is Chad? It is. How old was Chad at the time? Oh, like, we were the same age. So he was 17 years old as well. Yeah. And he's like, tell me what you need. Yeah. That's a mature 17-year-old. Very. So you went that night yeah. to the RCMP and they believed you. They did. And they started investigating immediately. And that was a Friday night. I spent all weekend apologizing to my family for the fact that I went to the cops because I shouldn't have. Because you were shamed and felt guilty. 100% should have kept it in the family. Sure. Now you're ruining things. (laughs) Now I'm wrecking things. Yeah. And Were they mad at you? Oh, furious. Furious. Yeah. And on the following Tuesday, I had a brain aneurysm from the stress, I think. Okay. So this is again where when we talked the other day, I'm like, this is, it's literally a movie. That's what it is. Like it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's a fiction. It's like, no, that can't happen to one person, but it did. So three days later, you had a brain aneurysm. 
and you end up in the hospital, of yeah. course. Um, can we go back to like, if you're okay? Oh, we'll, yeah. get, well, let's get to the brain aneurysm. Let's get to that little brain aneurysm thing in a second. <laughs> what what happened with to Uncle? What happened with any of the, this stuff? So, one in well, it's all connected to the aneurysm, but one in seven hundred fifty thousand people at that point survived a brain aneurysm. Okay. Out of that, one in a hundred thousand survives without massive defects. So I beat every record. The fact that I was even alive was mind blowing. Um, you beat was, the odds. I beat every odd and then some. And when I got to the hospital, the doctor said to me, "He's like, you need to have no stress for a few years. Like you, and there was such a high risk of me dying of a second brain aneurysm that." we were just doing everything in our power to like minimize stress. Sure. And so I had to call the cops in Manitoba where he lived um, in Brandon, Manitoba. That's right. I said the town. <laughs> if anyone knows me, they can do the math on who my uncle is. But I had to call the cops and actually request that they drop the case because a, I couldn't do the stress of it. They were afraid it was actually going to kill me. But I was actually at the age where my parents financially couldn't support me in it. But also, I didn't feel like I had any emotional support at all. So yeah, I would have been... You had, you had been, zero capacity. I had that. no capacity. So how do I, as this 18-year-old, be driving from northern BC to Manitoba to go to court cases and deal with this when I'm going to be sitting in a courtroom by myself and everyone else is on his side? Because so, that's how the so, family was. So and no so charges, I no anything up, were late. No, they ended up, the cop actually in tears told me, he's like, Don, we know he's guilty. But we also aren't willing to have you die from this. Right. So it's open. My file will always be open if anyone else comes forward. I've always said, if anyone else comes forward saying it, because I know people in the family he's abused as well, because they've told me. But they won't come forward. No one will come forward. Hmm. And can I blame him? Honestly, based on how I was treated, no. Right. I, I can't be upset at them. Right. Right? But one day, one day someone's going to come forward and I will be there with the biggest hug and go, okay, let's do this. Let's get back to the brain aneurysm because essentially three days after you talk to the RCMP, you have a brain. You're, but you had said like your family's pissed at you. Yes. Then you have a brain aneurysm. I'm assuming, but I'm going to assume a <laughs> lot of things. During this conversation, I think. Okay. I'm assuming their anger went to now we're going to love and care for you. Yes. Is that? Is oh, 100%. It, okay. So that, so your parents did that. Yeah. Um, and I'll be, I'm going to be honest with you. Like I'm mad at your mom and dad right now. I am. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not trying to sound goofy or, or anything like that. But hearing this story, it does, it does make me angry. Right. Totally justified. Um, no. But now I'm happy that now they want to care for you during this brain aneurysm. So you have this brain aneurysm. You had said earlier, you you know, you beat the odds. Oh, crazy odds. But then they tell you that the likelihood of you having another one is very, very high. Yeah. And the likelihood of you surviving another one is very, very low. Yeah. So tell us a bit about that. So two days before, so in between all this, so I go to the cops on Friday 
Sunday is my husband and I's two-year dating anniversary. Mm-hmm. You know, we're 80s babies, so he gave me a promise ring. It was this whole thing. We were going to so get nice. married. I know, right? Remember the day of the promise rings? Yes. <laughs> so, it was like the Letterman jacket. No you know? one ever gave me one. Anyways. Oh, we need to go <laughs> no, shopping. So sad. So sad. <laughs> I'll talk to your wife. <laughs> But she ain't giving me one now. I promise. Anyways, back to Chad being so romantic. So, uh, gives me a promise ring on the 5th. So, this is like April. Yeah. Um, This was like the 3rd, the 5th, and the 7th is the aneurysm. Mm. So, I am laying in a hospital bed. They've medevaced to me from northern BC to Vancouver. They've gotten me to this room. The surgeon's coming in to talk to me. And my number one question is, can I still get married? And he was like, what? And I was like, well, my my boyfriend gave me a promise ring. And I was like obsessed with still marrying him one day. So in love. And he was like, yeah, okay, sure. But when I came out of it. Uh, What happens with a brain aneurysm? I'm assuming that there's different levels of brain aneurysms. So what happened to you? Like, what does that mean? You had a brain aneurysm. So what it is, is picture like a grocery bag, like a paper bag that gets really, really wet. Okay. And then all of a sudden it just bursts out the bottom. It'll stretch and stretch and stretch and stretch. So the doctor also said it's like bubble gum. So it was on the nerve between my optic nerve and the other one that's attached to it. And it grew this giant boot shape. It looked like Italy. Okay. It was this giant boot shaped bubble. And so if they can catch it in advance, they can clip it. And that's an aneurysm. That's the is aneurysm. Is that little, we'll call, it, we'll call it a little bubble. The little bubble is the aneurysm. And what is it? Is it filled up with blood or air or what yeah, is it? Yeah, the blood is just flowing through it and it's causing it to grow and grow and grow and grow. Okay. And then if it bursts, it's a gunshot to your head. But how do you know that you have it? So most people die in their sleep. Because it bursts. Most people just die in their sleep because it bursts. Right. Or they're driving and all of a sudden they get in an accident. When they do the autopsy, they figure out that they had an aneurysm. And what causes an aneurysm? Do they know? Do you know? They, I don't know what they would say today, but back then the questions were like, are you on birth control? Have you been hit in the head? Have you been in a car accident? So, so head trauma? Head trauma. Was one of the big ones, but they really had, right. They asked all kinds of weird questions, but but they think for you it was stress related. They think it was stress related because usually it happens when you're old. Right. And you're a kid. I was a kid. I was so, so you've got this little Italy boot bubble, (laughs) my little boot bubble that's growing. But how did you know you had it? Did you have a bad headache? Did you pass out? Like what happened? I had a super, super severe headache. So really long story short my husband was on his way home from basketball practice he heard this voice say you need to go see dawn he raced out to my parents house walked in bent over to give me a hug and a kiss i'm laying on the couch my parents are at work my brother's in the other room sleeping on the couch you know like lazy after school teenage stuff and i stood up to give him a hug and i collapsed on the floor screaming and holding my head Mm. and he rushed me to the hospital and it's an insane story but like rush me to the hospital, slapping me the whole way to try to keep me awake. Because he's like, all I remembered was in movies. If she goes out, she's not yeah. coming back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if you keep go into her, a coma, you got to keep her awake. Sure. And he threatened a doctor. Security got called. Oh, it's a nut story. Wow. Security got called, but he has Crohn's disease and his Crohn's specialist happened to be in the hospital and came running to see what was going on and took one look at me and went, oh my word, I think she's having an aneurysm. 
And so he had to like race out. This is before cell phones. He had to race yeah. out and try to find my parents because it was three days before my 18th birthday. So they couldn't do anything without parental consent. And he somehow managed to find them and bring them back. And they signed off on it. And with hour, within hours, I was being flown to Vancouver for brain surgery. So mine started leaking. So when it leaks, it's just like a slow burn. And then you're getting blood on the brain. Yeah. And you're getting massive blood in your brain. So it's four to six hours is typically your time frame for life. So that's what usually when happens leaking. when it starts leaking. So that's if you're lucky, they'll catch it and they can clamp it. Mine leaked. But by the time I actually was there in for surgery was over 12 hours. And they couldn't figure out why I was still alive. And then the doctor went in. And I should show you the photo, but I actually had an x-ray done where you can see the actual titanium steel ring clamp in my brain. Mm. But they went in and they placed the clamp and the second he placed it, it burst. That's bad. Yep, real bad. But I somehow am here. You survived. Yeah. Now you're living after that. And thank you for explaining all that because no, that's okay. that's just all new to me, right? Um, so now you survived this. Yep. And in surviving this, though, like I said earlier, you're told this is most likely going to happen again. But if 100%. it does, you are most likely going to die. You now have to live with that. And then didn't oh. they tell you something like it's, like <laughs> it's, it's, if, crazy. it's most likely going to happen in the next decade is what they told you. So, or, or did they say this is the rest of your life or is this just the next 10 years? 10 well, years? so I had to go back for angiograms for the next year. Right. So I had to go back at, I think it was like six weeks, 12 weeks, six months, nine months and a year or whatever yeah. for angiograms, which is horrible if you ever have to have one. Uh, what, they literally, what, what is it? they cut, I've, I've heard they cut in your groin and put a wire up to right. go up and like look at your brain with cameras and make sure everything's okay. But then they like clamp you to this metal table and you're not allowed to move for like some stupid like eight hours or something stupid after mm. it and you can't move because if you move, it'll shift and you could bleed out. Mm. It was horrible. But they had done one to find the aneurysm in the first place and I kept having to go back for these. And so at the six week mark, I was sitting with my doctor in his office, the surgeon, and I said, look, so I've always been super logical from everything that I've gone through in my life. I've always been very realistic, probably too realistic at times. But I asked him, like, what are the chances of this happening again? Because I want to go get married and I want to have kids and, and I want to. And you want to know. And I want to have a career and sure. I want to do all these things. Sure. And I just had something that a 70 year old has. Like, what are the chances of this happening again? And he sat there very seriously and I said, no, no, no. I need the facts. Like, statistically, what are the chances of a second one? And he said, well, statistically, most people die of a second one within 10 years. So if you survive one, he's like, there's a 50% chance you're going to die of a second one within 10 years. Mm. And I said, okay. And so in my, you know, 18-year-old brain, I was like, so what about 20? Does that mean no one makes 20? And he said, no, nobody makes 20. And I said, okay. So it's it, the risk increases as the years go on? Is that what he's saying? Well, just because like nobody actually lives that long post aneurysm. I'm guessing now it's because most people that have them are really freaking old to begin with. Right. 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 So statistically, they can't say that people live that long because they're dying of old age. Sure. But in my head, that meant I have 10 years 
And to, if to, I'm ho- lucky, to hopefully get through. If I'm lucky, I'll make 10. So you spend the next 10 years essentially counting down. 100%. Like you must have had that date in your head and just oh, waiting D-day. and hoping that you get there. D-Day. Right. 100%. So every year on April 7th, I'd wake up and I would like burst into tears excited that I was awake. Wow. Or alive. Because it was like, oh, okay, I made another one. I made mm. another one. And like when 10 years hit... Like I've taken that day off work every single year forever. I think this yeah. is the first year I actually have like clients booked on that day. Wow. I've always taken that day off work as like a, oh, okay, celebrate. can I handle this? To celebrate. You're celebrating the fact that you're still alive. You know what's sad though? For the first probably 15 years, I grieved the loss of who I had been. Hmm. I didn't know how to celebrate it yet. So what do you mean by that? Because I was still so you, angry. You, okay. So you grieved the loss of who... Who I had been. You who you had been. Well, what do you mean by that? Like you, because of the fact that you were living your life, assuming D Day was coming, mm-hmm. and it that must have hindered you in many ways. Oh, hundred percent. What so, were you doing in this time? Like, were you working? Were you in school? <laughs> what, I was, like, I went to school. I worked. I did all kinds of stuff. Because um, this is this is essentially from the age of eighteen to twenty eight. That decade, which is, let's be honest. A big decade. It's supposed to be a huge decade in one's life. Yeah. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be party time. It's supposed to be find yourself time. It's supposed to be, you already had a great relationship, but it's supposed to be find a relationship time. It's supposed to be travel time, all these things. But were were you held back from that? Other than Chad, who I really want to meet Chad because the the promise ring is very romantic. Oh, he's just the greatest. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But, but uh, were you held back from that or did you go live some life? Combo. Okay. So side effects of the aneurysm was I doubled my body size on steroids in five months. Because you had to be on steroids for- To try to keep me from having a stroke. Okay. Because there was a super high risk I'd have blood clots or strokes after. Okay. And so to keep me alive, they had to put me on mass dose steroids. Right. But like I doubled my body size. Right. From all the hormone shifting that happened from the shock of cutting into my skull- I ended up like my eye color changed, my hair color changed, my voice changed, my personality changed, everything changed. So I came out of this at 18. Like you said, like this is prime time. Like this is when life's supposed to be really good. And I'm having all these weird side effects, like blackout migraines every single day. I don't know who I am. I've lost all my short-term memory. I've lost most of my long-term memory. Like I remember there was a day, it was probably about a month after I was home and I was in the shower and I'm sitting there going, I don't know what to do. Like I actually don't know what to do here because it was the first time I was actually bathing by myself and I was reading all the bottles and trying to figure it out. Like I remember having to relearn how to make craft dinner and relearning how to make like a jug of juice, like all these things that you shouldn't have to relearn at 18. Right. But I also didn't recognize my looks. You have to remember, like, I came from an eating disorder past. And now I've gone from, like, working out two hours a day, super fit, super healthy, to 260 pounds, Mm. almost overnight. And I'm trying to, like, relearn my body. Right? But I'd also, like, be walking through town and I'd see someone from high school and they'd be like, oh, my gosh, Dawn! I'd be like, huh? And I'd have no idea who they were. Hmm. Right? Going back to school, I still had to graduate. This is like April of grade 12. 
And so somehow I was only in the hospital for two weeks. You want to talk about being relentless. I wanted to go home. I was done with being in this hospital and they figured I'd be there for about three months. And the doctor told me, the surgeon told me, he's like, when you can get yourself out of bed on your own with your IV pole, you can walk all the way across the upper floor of the hospital, down the elevator, all the way across through the underground and up to my office and sit in my office. You're not going home. And on day 14, I was like, I'm going home. Like, you're not keeping me in this damn bed. So right? then, so you did, you did that. <laughs> it was stubborn. The, the doc looks up and goes, oh, what the hell are oh, yeah, you doing he here? Like, Hi, Don. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, send me home. Yeah. Right? But I'm trying to graduate. I'm trying to go to class. I have a half-shaved head. Oh, I should show you photos. Like, I'm in a wheelchair. I'm trying to, like, function. But I'm also not knowing my boyfriend's name. And I'm trying I, I to sit in class and I'm like, how do I write like law 12 exam I need when get, I just had an aneurysm? I need to get, need to get Chad on here. <laughs> like Chad is just an angel. Oh, yes. And I know he's your husband and probably annoys the hell out of you all the time because that's what us husbands do. But like what an angel this guy is. He's like a, truly. He is so solid. Oh, he's absolutely. so solid. My grandpa said on time, he was like, you know, he's like, if I could have like handpicked hand formed and created the perfect man for you yeah i could never have made chad his name was chad yeah it's awesome so okay let's let's <laughs> i love your face right now <laughs> <laughs> honestly um let's fast forward a little bit here yeah you are now in this decade yeah of living best you can you had to relearn a lot of things so but much I'm, but i'm assuming you so now much. you now get to the point where you've relearned most of it a lot of it a yeah. lot of it i'm assuming again i'm going to assume a lot of things yeah. because of the fact that you're sitting here with me right now i'm assuming your memory's coming back you now remember who chad is mm -hmm. you're remembering people you run into on the street all this type of stuff how long there's did... still weird blocks but yeah. okay and there still is to yeah, this day to this day okay um then what? Did you go to school? Were you like, what were you doing for a job when you could finally go back to work? Like, what what were you doing? <laughs> so, because I'm me and I'm stubborn, um, I got out of the hospital end of April. And that September, I left to go to Bible school. Okay. PTL. Which, against like... We'll, we'll call it a little PTL. Everybody's... Which is what? <laughs> Praise, Praise the, the Lord. Lord. Okay. Which was against like everybody's ideas of what I needed to do. Okay. Like nobody wanted me to. I think my parents at that point were like, we can't keep her home. She needs to just go live. Yeah. She needs to be alive. And I was so angry. Like yeah. I was so angry at life. I was angry at everybody because I was in so much pain. I was Rightfully mad about so. my looks. I was mad about my memory. Like I was just angry. I was just like a very, You're mad very. About the, the trauma that you went through earlier in oh, life. Right. All that. It was very much like a really seriously. Like yet another thing? Like have I not lived through enough that now I have to have this? Were there times that you were like just completely feeling sorry for yourself? Oh, 100%. Yeah. there Because there had to have been. Oh, I was like the captain of the pity ship. Yeah. Like but, but, but kind of rightfully so. <laughs> you know, rightfully so. I mean, I, you know, I, we're, we won't get too into it today. But you and I have talked a bit about the trauma in my life and the tragedy in yeah. my life. And there's times that I feel sorry for myself. And you 100%. know what? I'm okay with that. 100%. Because as weird as it sounds, I go, I should feel sorry for myself. 
And that's okay. Now, it depends what we do with that. Well, I was going to say, to live in it forever and to drown in it is one thing. Right. But we're allowed to have our moments. Absolutely. Right? Like, I still have my moments. (laughs) Of course you would. But that's got to be like, there must have been some big moments there. So so how does one at 20 (laughs) years old, 21, 22, 23, let's, we can go through the years. Yeah. Who was, you got Chad. Yeah. The hero. Mm-hmm. Who else is there supporting you? You know, my faith played a huge part in it. Okay. My faith did play a huge part in Which, it. Which, by the way, we did PTL earlier, and I'm yeah. not trying to make fun because I actually went to Bible school too. I told <laughs> yeah, you that. Yeah, I know, which is why we're joking yeah, about it. <laughs> that's why we joked about it because I was going to be a youth pastor, and then I was like, I like to smoke and drink too much. I can't be up on the pulpit. Anyways. See, I like to say fuck. So there you go. I also there get in go. a lot of trouble. So do I. So do I. It's <laughs> a good um, word. So your faith got you through that. Yeah. Chad, explain that a little bit. I had what part of it? I, I just don't understand. I, I'm trying to wrap my brain around me at 19, 18, 19, 20, 21, whatever, yeah. whatever age you want to look at. And don't get me wrong, I had some things in my life too, but I didn't have this. Yeah. And I understand that that, or I believe anyways, things are relevant. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like what people go through is relevant in their lives, their heart, their mind, their soul, all that type of stuff. And certain people, unfortunately, have to go through more things. Yeah. I don't understand why. I don't get oh, that. Me neither. Right. I don't get that. I don't understand why at, at this age, you've been through everything yeah. you've been through compared to other people. But again, it can be relevant. I have to, in my tragedy, step back sometimes. And when I hear somebody complaining about something that I would consider yeah. to be just so minuscule. And I'm like, oh my gosh, is that seriously the toughest part of your life? But then I have to go, no, that actually is the toughest part of their life. 100%. And, and I have to take that into There's consideration. There's no scoring system. Right. There's no scoring system. Yet as human beings, I believe that it's natural for us to want to compare. 100%. And for yeah. for me to want to go, oh my God, Dawn, what you've been through, and then to look over at the, the opposite side of that and go, oh my goodness, whoever, shut up and stop complaining. <laughs> But like you said, but, there is no scoring and it's 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 like I've been saying, it's relevant to the, the people. So I guess what I'm trying to get to is I just don't understand how you keep moving forward. And I get that you have your faith <laughs> and I get that you have stubborn fucking willpower and relentlessness just relentless hello everybody my name is kyle dubay and i'm the host of the relentless podcast i'm so glad that you're listening i'm so glad that you're going to join us being relentless is not easy but being relentless can work that was the aha moment then the work started specifically what i cared about was the organizations that were having an impact in the lives of youth. Everybody's welcome down yeah. here. And that's what we wanted the ballpark. Inclusive. It is inclusive. For your first podcast, you really went all out. It, we're not playing here. Like, we're this is what we do. This looks like a, like a low-rent UFC show, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Will. Like you You're like the Dana bit. White of UCAN. Uh, with the bald head, You're, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And Dana I'm, Beige. Yeah. I love talking to these folks. I love learning about them, hearing their stories, and I hope that it's going to be the same for you. You know, okay, so a few things. I was raised feeling like I was too much. Not that anyone told me I was too much, but I always felt like I was too much. 
always. I always felt like I was too much. I always felt like I was, you know, too much of a personality or I laughed too hard. Okay, I was going to say, what does that mean too much? So basically- Or there was too much going on. That your personality was too big. Too much trauma. Too much trauma. Too much this. Too much that. It always felt like I was too much. Okay. By who? Your family? Friends? Everybody. Everybody in my entire life. I always- always felt like it so if i had drive or i had motivation or i wanted to do something out of the box or i wanted to like when i look back at my childhood i did some crazy stuff like crazy things that looking back i'm like did you seriously manage like i managed a flower store when i was 15 years old i convinced owners of a flower store that i was a grown-ass adult and you sign it over and let me manage it while they were out of town <laughs> for an entire like four months. I bought, I got books at the library and I did wedding flowers. Wow. I had no idea what I was doing. I just thought it was really freaking cool. Do you know, I like that story. My mom was a florist. <laughs> I love flowers. You know, you can use services. Um, my mom unfortunately passed away here about a year ago, but we, her best friend, uh, here's a plug at the Awesome Blossom in Edmonton, Alberta. So if you ever need flowers, go there. Karen is incredible. And she, for at least a decade, a longer actually, has she delivers a huge bouquet of flowers every Monday to You Can Use Services. So oh, we can have amazing. those in the, in the lobby because I, I love flowers because of my yeah. mom. So I actually, when I'm hearing this, I'm like, that is actually nothing that you can just... It's not Just easy do, to win. It's not. Like, <laughs> it's like not my mom and, and her friend Karen, these other floor center are so gifted. It's an art. It's creative. <laughs> it's all this. And you were like, yeah, okay, let's just, I'm just going to get some books and learn how to do some wedding flowers. Oh, hired my best friend who I'll give her a plug, Travis of Calyx Floral and Red Deer, who actually became like this a phenomenal, like world-renowned florist. Because, we always because laugh about it. Because you hired her in this shady floral. <laughs> this shady floral Entrepreneurial. <laughs> Oh, venture that you I went had to down. like ride my bike to the bank every weekend to deposit all the money from the week. It was like all of my backpack. <laughs> Just riding your bike. Because I'm like riding my pedal bike to the bank. Like, no, like I look back at my childhood and the things that I did and the shit that I it's kind of awesome that I lived though. through is actually really cool. I had no idea we were going to go down the like the floral. Yeah, who knew, right? Shaw. But like, but that's Talk. when I look back at my life. There was always this stubbornness. A little chaos, a little mayhem. I wanted, but this stubbornness of you wanting to just do it. I wanted money. Mm. That summer I wanted money. Yeah. I wanted to buy a stereo for my bedroom and yeah. I wanted to ski all winter. Well, who doesn't and, want a stereo in their bedroom? Right? Oh, I had the best stereo out of everyone, yeah. right? But like that was what I wanted. So I was like, I got to get a job. But at that point, I had been through so much already at that point that I had learned how to like work it. You were resilient though. I was resilient and I just kept pushing through. And honestly, I think because the traumas piled up so hard so fast, I didn't have a chance to know what life was outside of them. Do you think as a- So I just kind of kept fighting. Do you think as a a survivor, do you like that word? Some people don't like that word. I don't know. I honestly don't know if I like it. Okay, then it I, seems kind of cheesy, but it's a I common one it. that. But no, what is a common one that works with a lot of people? How about this? As a person who had to um, naturally and then uh, unnaturally, in some ways, yeah. build resiliency up as a young person. Yeah. Do you feel? Because I'm just listening to the the flower shop thing, and we're going to talk about you oh, going into business later too. That's one of like five crazy things. I right, did but as but a kid. it's almost like it's almost like it's a hustle. 
And he weren't trying to rip people off or, or be a hustler, but you got to learn how to hustle. You got to learn how to be a hustler. You got to learn how to talk your way in and out of things. You got to convince people, oh, I'm capable of this. But don't you think that that comes from that resiliency path? Well, and it does. But circling back to when you asked, like, who was my support? Like, how did I get through my 20s? I learned at a really young age that the only person I could count on was me. Hmm. I learned at a super young age that I was the only person that would ever believe me. I was the only person that was ever going to be able to take care of me. I was the only person that could like get shit done. Right. Right. And I learned that so young because of other things going on in my life that I just kept going. Did that make you trust people less? Oh, 100%. I, I just assume 100% it would. 100% it did. If the only person, which then Chad turned into one of these people. We keep going back to Chad. <laughs> He's going to laugh. He's going to laugh when I tell him that. It always goes back to Chad. Yeah. So... <laughs> And when I meet Chad for the first time, I hope I do. I'm like, he's going to be creeped out by me because I'm just going to be fanboying all over him. And anyways, it'll no, be No, there's time. like a chapter of my book about my marriage. And everybody after was like, I just want to meet Chad. I just Chad. want to meet Chad. <laughs> I just want to get a picture with Chad. So I guess where I'm going with this is, is prior to Chad and this and that, but there would have been a lack of trust because of the trauma yeah. that happened in your life, because of the fact that you came forward with, yeah with the the molestation stuff with your uncle but people aren't believing you or how about this not even that people aren't believing you not other than the police they're not doing it. anything about it they're not doing anything they're not doing there's anything. no action so now you have to start doing things for yourself yeah. which now let's let's hit your mid-20s let's go to there mm-hmm. is where are you at now at your mid-20s oh so mid-20s we had moved to alberta I was really high up in a road building company. I did like hiring and firing and bonding and marching and bookkeeping. Yeah. And I ran a Packer and a D8 Cat and I wore steel toe boots every day. Yeah. And yeah, I was, so there became this weird idea of like, I'm going to be dead anyway, so I may as well enjoy life. Because in the back of your mind, you're still thinking D-Day's coming. Oh, D-Day, <clears throat> like there was a D-Day. Right? So as long as I made it through that day. Then Are you I was married at this okay. point? Yeah, we got married like barely 20 years old. Okay. So you got married young, like a good Christian couple. That's right. And then I know because that was my wife and I too. <laughs> and then you, so you guys are married. Is Chad also going through like this, oh, D-Day is coming? Yeah. Okay. He was, but it changed all of these decisions for us. Mm. So it shifted things like, why invest for your retirement when you could go on a month-long vacation? Right. Why? Which is kind of a great way to live in some ways. In some ways. But then financially <laughs> later, I was like, whoa, we should have done that. Now that we passed the 20-year mark, it's like, right. oh, shit. Right. We probably should have been more responsible. Right. It's okay. We're learning in our 40s. Yeah. But for him, we had a conversation of like, what if I do die in the next 10 years? Mm. What if this happens? Mm-hmm. And he was like, that's okay. I'll take the years I can get. But this also shifted like not having kids. Mm. We also knew there was a high risk. We couldn't have kids. But before even fully 100% knowing, we made the decision not to. Because I didn't want to leave him a single parent with babies. And I also didn't want to pass it on genetically to another child. So like it shifted everything. Where we lived, what we did, how we ate, our lifestyle. Because everything was attached to this like, meh, the life insurance will pay for it. Meh. (laughs) Like... You got to live because we could die. 
So we always joked that we lived in this like happy little bubble of like realistic denial. Hmm. Where it was like, yeah. we're realistic in the fact that we need life insurance and we had a will and power of attorney. Did, and was it hard for you to get life insurance? Things? Yes. Yeah. Like that's an interesting Incredibly question for me. Incredibly hard. And it must have cost a lot of money. Oh my gosh. Do I pay a lot still in right. life insurance policies? Right. Yeah. I'm rated out the wazoo. Yeah. Yeah. It's very expensive. But it was a thing, right? Like we then started looking at this and going like, well, let's just live. And he was dealing with some health stuff. That's his story. And mm. so we were both kind of like that. And then the 10-year mark hit. And I was like, oh, we got to ramp this up. Like, now let's go crazy and live life. But the 10-year mark, that year my mom was killed in a car accident. And 10 years earlier, my dad had been in a logging accident, shattered 79 bones from his waist up. He couldn't be left alone. Like, like life didn't stop being hard at 18. Right. So we're dealing with infertility. We're dealing with my dad and my mom and the grieving. And you want to talk about being mad at your parents. I actually stood over my mom's grave one time and I was like spitting on it and crying. And I know that's really offensive to some people, but like I had to grieve that. I had to rage. I had to release the emotions and process our relationship. We didn't ever have a super close relationship. Right. But now I'm 28 and she's gone and I'm having to figure that out. I'm trying to figure all these things out. And then I always laugh that like high school was hard, but then life got harder. Mm. So in that, like I have stood in hospital rooms and watched my husband code and had to say goodbye to him multiple times. And he's doing amazing, by the way. He's like super healthy and doing phenomenal. But that was due to some health issues. He but was that having. was due to some health issues he was having that he got diagnosed with after we started dating in high school. Right. But then I went on to like, I needed a hysterectomy. Thank you, Edmonton Healthcare System. They won't give a hysterectomy to anyone under the age of 45 because everything's owned by the Catholic Hospital Board, which won't allow you to take away your ability to be fertile. So unless you have two kids, you're over 45, you couldn't get a hysterectomy. So then I ended up in this like insane doctor induced drug addiction. I was on like 25 Percocet a day and Butrans patch, which is legalized heroin and all of this stuff to keep me alive because my pain was so severe. I had to have a full radical hysterectomy at 34. Like my life has been so hilariously tragic, tragic, but I, but you know what? I've always said my life is beautifully horrific and horrifically beautiful. Don't because there's been so much good. Like there's been so much good through all the hard, right? I don't know. Maybe you, it's, maybe you, it's brain damage from the aneurysm that makes me so positive. <laughs> My sister would tell you that. <laughs> are you close with your sister? Yes. Okay. Getting there. My brother and sister and I are quite close. We're the only ones left, really. So yeah, yeah we're tight. Um, and I, I'm assuming. I keep saying that uh, <laughs> that a lot Sorry. of this is in this incredible incredible book that I'm going to read and thank you so much for gifting it to me. You're welcome. Called P.S. I Made It. Oh. What do you do now, Don Taylor, uh, with the Taylor way? How did this all come about and how, what do you do? So That's a big question, I know, but... No, but, it's okay. So, <clears throat> April 2008... It was 10 years and I sat at a kitchen table and told my husband that if I couldn't figure out my own mental health, I was going to kill myself because I couldn't live in my own head for the rest of my life. 
there was so much trauma, so much garbage, so much pain. I had tried every therapist and psychologist and social worker and pastor and you name it. I had driven across Canada. I had flown places. I had done everything in my power to heal my mental health at this point and nothing was working. And I asked him if it was okay that I was going to cash in everything we had. Every RSP, every savings I was going to max at every credit card, every line of credit to try to heal my own head. And he said, yeah, go for it. And I started this crazy path of, I hate calling it a journey because it's bullshit. I actually just got really stubborn. I sat at my kitchen table, wrote out every single trauma on recipe cards, shuffled them because sadly there were enough of them. And I started with the first one. I was like, okay, how do you heal this? Scientifically, what does this do to your brain? Hmm. Right? What does it do to you when some of these things have happened? How do you overcome them? How do you deal with rage? Because at that point in my life, if one more person asked me how it made me feel, I was probably going to commit murder. Right? But also, I was angry. I had so much anger in me. And everyone's like, oh, just have another moment of gratitude. And I was like, can I have it with a baseball bat in your head? Right. But I had this, I don't even know how to describe it. Like it was like Hulk rage inside of me and I would just boil and then I would shut it down, shut it down, shut it down, shut it down, shut it down. And then something would happen and it would spike it and I'd cause damage to something or someone or whatever. And then I'd be like, oh, that was bad. I got to shut that back down again. And so I started trying to figure this out. And over the course of the next couple of years, people were watching me heal. And they were watching me figure this out and starting to ask for advice on how to deal with their own situations. And so meanwhile, I like buy a restaurant and do all these other crazy things. Like I had this like wild career of craziness because nothing scared me. Mm. It was like I had a brain aneurysm and didn't die. I'm pretty sure failing at owning a restaurant's not going to phase me. Right. Right. Like I've always had a little bit of like a, yeah, peace out next kind yeah. of mentality. Yeah. This, this crazy ability to disconnect from those things. But people started asking for advice and asking for support. Right. Like, hey, I was sexually abused. How do you deal with this now? And in the meantime and in between time, this is all going on while you're doing your stuff around healing. Yeah. And dealing with your trauma and and. Uh, getting answers to your curiosity yeah. of how do I deal with this trauma yeah. um, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all, all of those it. different things. All of it. You're also educating yourself by getting certified in things, right? Oh, so many certifications. Like, like I have to pay commercial insurance as a therapist because I have so many different certifications at this oh. point. But – I just did what I needed for my brain. So I was like, huh, I got to figure out how to release anger. Cool. So I found somewhere to go and like learn how to do raging cathartic work. Mm. Like how do you physically release anger from your body to the point where you actually don't feel anger anymore? Like there's got to be a way. Sure. So then I'd go to these like conferences or workshops or these courses and then I'd be like, well, 70% of it was good, but 30% of it was bullshit. These people have never dealt with trauma, obviously. Okay. So now how could I tweak that? How could I shift that? How could I change that to heal me? And so that's really where it started. And man, March, so like right now, eight years ago, like fully incorporated company started doing trauma work and coaching full time. The Taylor way. The Taylor way. And 
Totally Ooh. tailored. <laughs> totally tailored for you, the Taylor way. <laughs> Should be my tagline. <laughs> Ooh, we just started it. Right. <laughs> we just started it here on the Relentless Podcast. What, who do you work with? What type of people, like, how do you get clients? When, like, yeah. when, how do you promote this? How, in the beginning of all this, eight years ago. Yeah. It was, I think you actually told me the story of how it started. Tell that story. If you're okay with it. Yeah, for sure. So I was sitting in, I was sitting in a coffee shop <coughs> and dealing with like restaurant stuff with a vendor. And she started telling me the story about what was going on with her daughter. And because I had been on a documentary that was all over Shaw TV for a while for Be Brave Ranch and Little Warriors mm -hmm. talking about building of Be Brave because I was one of the volunteers that was out there every Saturday building that facility and helping and supporting it. So people support little warriors yeah, unbelievable it's, organization it's amazing yeah but she had seen me on tv in her hotel the night before and so she started asking me about my story about sexual abuse and how i'd overcome and how i had dealt with it and wanted support for her daughter and so she asked if i'd be willing to talk to her daughter and that's kind of where it started and then i spoke at an event and a bunch of people came up and were like hey can i talk to you about my business can i talk to you because i own businesses too right so right. people just wanted support but these were people that you told me like have had trauma in their lives yeah for the most part for the most part right yeah so i have people kids as young as 12 but most of my clients are the 18 to 45 range mm -hmm. 50 range right now i have a whole bunch of 65 year old women mm. that are just now digging in and doing their trauma work and mm. doing some healing and figuring out life because they're seeing it in their grandchildren now right sure and they want to and, show and up you, different for their grandchildren. Do you think, so let's talk about the 65-year-olds. Do you think also yeah. it's because in 2023, and let's go back five to 10 years, it's way more um, encouraged and acceptable, if you will, yes, to time. deal with this trauma than it used to be. Instead yeah. of what you were taught, <laughs> sweep it under it. the, just bury it. It's, it's coming up. It, dig a deeper hole. Go deeper. <laughs> Stick your head farther in the sand. Where now these sixty-five so horrible to even say. But even some of these sixty-five-year-olds um, that have been yeah. teaching their kids to do that are now going, yeah. "Ooh, this is not good." Yeah, it's right? coming up. It's coming up for people. COVID brought a lot of that out in people. It's you know, people's control was taken away again, and it triggered a lot of when control was taken away in their life previously. And so all of a sudden, trauma's coming up for people and they can't bury it in the same way as it was. But we're also in a different era where like emotional intelligence is a thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People are starting to talk publicly. They're starting mm -hmm. to, you know, shout from the rooftops what's going on in their lives. You have celebrities, you have, you know, on all your social media platforms, like this is now a talked about thing. What I love is that I can say that 60 to 70% of my clients are men. Men are starting to come out and talk about this. We talked about that. Right? Men are starting to talk and You you and I talked about that when, when we did our little kind of pre pod interview and the importance of that. And it's not that it's that it's more important than anybody else talking, but it's definitely um, becoming less rare. Yeah. It's still too rare. Oh, too rare. Yeah. But you're dealing, you said, with like a lot of business owners. And yeah. a lot of corporate people who are dealing with trauma from their past and that it's holding them back from finding success or continued success within their worlds. Is that a fair totally. way to say it? 100%, yeah. So how do you walk somebody through that? 
So that's where it's interesting. Totally depends on who the client is. Um, so when I'm working with somebody who like their level of vulnerability, right? And I have a few ways of figuring that out really quick is like how vulnerable are they willing to be right away? So often a client will come to me going, hey, I need help with business. I'm struggling with my business, right? Like I'm going through staff like crazy or I'm struggling with making these phone calls or I'm being super, and you and I both know we hate this word, but triggered. Like I'm having a response, an emotional response to things that I shouldn't be and I'm starting to self-sabotage hard. Right. Right? Or, hey, my wife is really broken. I get that one all the time. That one cracks me up. Teach me how to fix my wife. And I'm like, yeah, come on in. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're part of this. Because <laughs> as, listen, as a good husband. You all know it's the wife's fault. Oh, I my mean, gosh. My wife, I can blame her for <laughs> Everything. Anything. I could be across <laughs> the world. Everything. Something, and it's Jeanette's fault. 100%. Yeah. I'm very gifted at it. Right? I'm very gifted. But I like that you pick up on that really quickly. <laughs> That, um, but this is common, right? Like this is super common. And so a lot of these, a lot of people have become very successful in business because that's where they've put all their hyper control in their life. But they're also on marriage two or three or four or their kids aren't talking to them or, you know, there's other things going on. Mm -hmm. And they're hitting this point where they're like, man, I lay in bed at the end of the night after have, having had, you know, four scotches to try to get through my evening. And I'm really freaking unhappy. Survival mode. Yep. They're you, done with it. You said something earlier, which I found interesting in regards to the control piece. Listen, we could have a whole talk on COVID and, and that, oh, yeah. that could be an entire podcast um, topic. But why is control so important to us? So when a trauma happens... Think of trauma. Most people think of trauma as like the abuse or, you know, someone was held a gunshot or, you know, like a big thing. These huge things are traumas. Okay. But a trauma is actually anytime your nervous system is jarred. Hmm. Right? So I've had clients where it was the smallest conversation that completely shook their entire world and changed their trajectory for their life. And they cannot figure out what's holding them back. Because they're like, I haven't had any major traumas. No, no, you haven't had any of like the stereotypical top 10. What the world would the think world is major. What the world would determine as a major trauma or one of those top 10 items. But you were raised by someone very narcissistic or you were raised by an alcoholic. So you dealt with abandonment every single day when they drank. Right? It's often what we were taught in our traumas. Right? What we were taught. Like, oh, I can't actually trust anyone. Oh, I can't actually believe anyone. Oh, if someone says they love me, they're going to hurt me. Right? It's often those pieces. That's what the hard part is. That's the part that's torturing someone for the rest of their life. It's not the actual giant event that happened. Mm. Right? And so digging into it in a totally different way to figure that out. But often those things came out of a place of having our control taken away from us. Right. So we were bullied or our parents got divorced or we lost the job or someone horrifically like insulted our looks. Well, you don't have control over that as a kid. Right. Or or right. You know, to go into my situation, or you lost or you lost a child. Somebody else. Like you, you lost a child. You you somebody has lost somebody very significant, which is zero control. Hundred percent. You've no control. You've no control but over all I, any but all of I that. want to do, see now you're gonna start counseling me. All that I want to do <laughs> is 
is control it. And what I've realized <clears throat> you can't. is that it's unfixable. So you can't fix it. No. And I believe that we live in this culture of we want everyone to be fixed and we want everyone to be okay and be better. And I've talked about this on okay. my podcast before. Okay. I've talked about this on other podcasts. <clears throat> I do think we all want to be fixed. I think that often we're, we misunderstand what it is that needs to be fixed. I agree with you. But that I piece? actually, for me, the, the what I'm saying though is I, I, I actually don't think that I want to be fixed. I don't think that I can fully be fixed. What I'm saying is that other people want yeah. me to be fixed. Because it makes them uncomfortable. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And But that's control stuff too. 100%. Right? Mm-hmm. And losing my son, I had no control. None. None. Right? So I, then- Losing my mom to cancer, no, no control. No control. But now you have these situations and you have this entire world of people that have had no control- in the situations that have caused them the most emotional harm, mm-hmm. right? So then our coping mechanisms step in, our protection mechanisms step in, right? So, oh, well, you just need to get up and you need to go to the gym every day and you need to do your words of affirmation, you need to go to work and you need to do all these things and you need to run your business and build your business and be more driven and more driven and more driven and more driven and, you know, do all these things. And then the government steps in and goes, oh, yeah, no, done. Oh, with COVID. Y'all can't yeah. do anything, right? And... Now your control is being taken away again, which is triggering everyone back to the last time their control was massively taken away. Because we're seeing big increases in this, aren't we? Huge. Huge. People that thought they had everything buried deep enough, and I'm getting calls in COVID, I'm getting calls now of like, I can't shut this down. Like, I can't get it back in the box. What are some of the things that you work through with people you're so you're doing trauma what would you call it trauma management trauma counseling like what what is it i don't think i can use it counseling okay um trauma coaching is coaching people through it to actually heal from it okay but also giving you the skills to manage it right right how long does and i guess well how long do people work with, for, with me for? Yeah, but it, I'm assuming it would just all be individual, right? I mean, depending on yeah. the, the their traumas, where they're at in them. I mean, it, yeah, I'm assuming you'd work with somebody for two months, somebody for two years. Totally. Right? Um, yeah. we, we could talk for a very long time. We could. And I think we're going to talk more. Uh, you that. have a podcast. I do. What is your podcast? It is called Taylor Ray Talks, and it's all about the hard conversations that no one is having. So everything from food is not the devil and someone who is in OA for Overeaters Anonymous and her how she was raised believing in food to dealing with the death to grief to the episode that launched yesterday was the before, during and after of an affair. Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's, um, that's we're doing, interesting. We're doing all the stuff, right? I like how you call it hard conversations. And you and I did talk about this uh, earlier before we recorded. I am a big fan of hard conversations. So we, we have to have these with our young people at You Can Use Services quite often. Yeah. Um, because quite often, the young people that show up to, for, our, for us to work mm-hmm. with them, 
so much of their lives is not their fault. No. It isn't. It's the Goodwill Hunting movie, right? The right? scene where he's like, "Will, this isn't your fault." He's holding the file up. This isn't oh. your fault. This isn't your fault. <laughs> Such a good movie. Which, yeah, it's. it's I think it's my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. But I mean, when I look at at your life, Dawn, um, it's not your fault. That's what this comes down to. The things that happen to you, especially as a child and as a as an adolescent, as a teenager, and as a young adult, it's not your fault. But as we move forward in life, we have to then end up taking responsibility for choices or well, and I was going to say it, it becomes my fault when I choose to suffer. Exactly, and yeah. so for us with our young people, we I call them hard conversations. Totally. Um, we have to have hard conversations with young people, and essentially say, "Listen, all this shit before, this isn't your fault. You didn't ask to be born into this. You didn't ask for this to happen. This to happen. This to happen. You didn't ask." To, to be molested you didn't ask no. for a, to have your back broken you didn't ask to to, <laughs> to have an aneurysm and that's just up to 17 oh. okay like <laughs> all that's that not stuff. even all of it exactly like a skim exactly <laughs> oh man my but, life's been entertaining and same with our young people there's so many things but there comes a time where we have to have these hard conversations mm-hmm. and i'm i'm just i love the fact that you want to have hard conversations with people and i'm i'm oh. again under the assumption that whenever you are working with clients you don't hold back. No. I'm assuming that you have no problem saying, listen, bud, or listen, no. whoever, um, I'm going to call you out on some of this because some of this is now your fault, right? Yeah. Some of the choices you're making are now your fault, which yeah. I think is probably what makes you a ass kisser, ass kisser and ass <laughs> kicker. I, I don't think you're an ass kisser. <laughs> an ass kicker. Yeah. I'm assuming that's what makes you that. 100%. Didn't you say one of your clients is the one that said you need to put that on your business card? You did. Because you probably kicked his ass many times. You know what? I had a 20-year-old in my office all day Saturday. She came in for a full day session. And you know the greatest compliment at the end of the day? was She's like, you're the first person I've not been able to manipulate. Mm. She's like, as much as I hate you when you call me on my shit, she's like, it's those times that I'm actually starting to change. Well, it's because growth happens. Well, it does outside of our comfort zone, but it's... It's okay to feel comfortable being uncomfortable. Right? But my clients, like, they'd be the first ones to tell you that, like, I might call you on your shit, but Mm -hmm. man, I'm giving you the biggest hug and I'm loving you through it. Which then goes to the hope giver. Yeah. Right? So you go from ass kicker. To hope, to hope giver, which I think is a beautiful balance in any relationship. You have to support. You have to support. It's not, I mean, even in just like how I run my business is like I pulled up and I was a few minutes late because I'm talking to a client in the parking lot because I have unlimited texting, calls, emails with my clients. Mm-hmm. You're melting right now. You're having a hard situation because you fought with someone last night and you're like full on going to self-sabotage this. I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to call you right now and I'm going to walk you through this yeah. and we're going to deal with it in the moment. Yeah. And I think that's, I don't know. I, everything so hope, I've been through. That's, that's hopeful. Everything I've been through has been, if one person could be healed because of what I went through, if one person could feel seen or heard or understood or believe that they are worth fighting for because of what I've been through, I would live through every fucking trauma again. Mm. No questions asked. Don, we're going to end the podcast the way that I like to end a lot of our podcasts, um, where we get to know you a little bit better, although you have shared <laughs> a lot today, which I'm so thankful for. 
I, I, I truly am. It's just this incredible story. And I, I really encourage people um, to go out and, and get Don's book. P.S. I made it. Don Taylor. Should go through my website. I can write you a personal note in it and I'll send it out to you. Uh, absolutely. And we'll get all that stuff after um, where everyone can find you. Don, we're going to do what we call the relentless quiz. Ooh, let's do it. It is uh, scientific. It's not scientific. <laughs> Don, it's a total ripoff from Stephen Colbert. <laughs> That's awesome. Very. <laughs> very Just own it. <laughs> very. Ah, uh, yeah. I will. Very, uh, very simple. And you just have to just give quick answers Let's if you it. like. Uh, fruits or vegetables? Fruits. Blueberries. Hands okay, down. Easy, all turbo. day, every day. I didn't. We don't need to. <laughs> all day. <laughs> I'm an get. addict. The blueberries. Yep. Nice. Okay. Yep. I like those in porridge. I, oh. This, oh, I can't talk about this. This isn't, a, this isn't about me. Okay. Frozen fresh everywhere. Yeah. City or countryside? City. Dirty bathroom or dirty kitchen? Which one I hate more? Which one do you prefer? Or which one do you hate more? Same thing. Oh, dirty bathroom. Okay. Salty or sweet? Salty. Do you know that most people go fruit and then they go salty? It's so interesting to me. It doesn't affect the quiz. It doesn't affect the results. I'm just saying it's interesting to me. Yeah. Because I'm the same way. Uh, Morning or night? Both. Favorite comedy movie of all time? Oh, favorite comedy movie. That I don't know. You like to laugh, though. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah. I love to laugh. I have a very, very inappropriate sense of humor. That means that you like to laugh. (laughs) Yeah. Big party or small gathering? Oh, small gathering. Hard introvert. Okay. Phone in the bathroom or no phone in the bathroom? Phone in the bathroom. Favorite love song of all time? Yeah, I'm thinking of Chad right now. <laughs> no, I'm not going to have to think about it. Oh, I love Amazed by Bon Jovi. Okay. Child of the 80s. Okay. Yeah. Do you think of Chad? I was actually I listening to uh, Whitney Houston. I was I was watching the David Foster documentary last night, so I was listening to that soundtrack on the way here from Bodyguard today. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, there's some good songs oh, in there. Oh, there is some good songs. Yeah. Uh, two more questions. Uh, cake or pie? Neither. Hate sweets. Yeah, I guess you want saltier. Okay. No, like even fruit. So not, I like you're, not a dessert, blueberries. you're not a dessert person. Not a dessert person. And it's true because blueberries are a bit like tart, like a little. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So no sweet tooth at all. None. Good for you. Uh, here's one you got to think about. Describe your relentless podcast experience in four words. Real, raw, and vulnerable. We're going to end it there. Where can we find you on your socials and your website? TheTaylorWay.ca is my website. The Taylor Way now on Instagram. Don Taylor on LinkedIn. Kind of all over the place. Okay. We just need to look that up. Yeah. Uh, P.S. I Made It is your book. Don, I am so happy you came on here. I'm so happy we're connected. I really am. This has been an incredible conversation. Um, and our conversation the other day was incredible. I feel really enriched and blessed that that we've met. I really do. I hope we do some stuff in the future together. Let's do it. Um, and this is going to be as cheesy a way as I can end this podcast. <laughs> I'm so glad you made it. 
Me too. Yeah. Thanks for being here. By the way, April 7th, 25 years. It's fantastic. I hope you can celebrate. I'm going to. Yeah. I got a big plan. Good. Yeah. Good. I hope you do. All right. Thank you, Don. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.